Well, hello again, everyone. This is Dr. Jim Hoven, and I have the incredible opportunity to host this amazing show called the Ramos Law Difference Makers Podcast. And it's during this opportunity that I get to share stories and visits with people who are doing amazing things in amazing ways in their own right. And some of those people are actually our family, our team here. And today I have the chance to talk with one of my very, very favorite souls of light, Laura Meehan. And Laura is a wonderful um, paralegal at our firm. And so her story is incredible. Her passion for what she does is incredible. And I can't wait to share it with you guys as Laura and I have this discussion. So Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Hovind. Glad to be here. Yes. yes. Well, you and I have talked about doing this for a little bit, right? With all yes. the things you've got going on. And yes. so now to see you here, I have to tell you, as we get started on this, when I see you walking around, you are a light. And I know I just Aww. said that, but you, you walk around, there's a lightness to you and there's a sparkle in your eye and you just always have a sense of joy with you. So number one, thank you for that, for thank sure. Thank yes. You. And number two, have you always been like that? Have you always been the bubbly spirit, the... The, life of the party. The life of the party, <laughs> the, the joy in the room. Tell me about that. Um, first off, uh, life is good. God is good. I'm very blessed. And so I get excited about every day. Um, I kind of try to live life to its fullest and to my, uh, to my best that I can be as a human, first and foremost. And so I want to just kind of like put a light in someone else's life. Like hopefully they get just a taste of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so again, as a kid though, is that how you were? And did, were you sibling? Were you part of a big sibling tribe or did, were you just only child or tell, tell us a oh, little no, bit more? Oh no, I was part of a tribe for sure. I have a big family in California where I grew up. And so um, my cousins, huge, huge family, cousins, aunts, uncles. I have two brothers and a sister who have the same heart as I do. And uh, we were raised by two great parents. And, you know, not everything's always perfect, but uh, the one thing we did grow up with was love in each other. And we shared that every single day was, and I love you, hugs, kisses. Aunts and uncles would just hug and kiss your face. And grandmothers were just amazing. So so you guys were very close family. Yes. I and... live next door to my grandma in elementary school. Oh, really? Yeah. And so was grandma part of your kind of care team where you would oh, be yes. with, with her a lot? Mm -hmm. She actually taught me uh, to be who I want to be. She's a saint. I would say she's a saint. I think the whole family would say she's a saint. Uh, she taught me to be a great mother, a great sister a great person in general she taught how did she me teach that cook. did she tell you things and mm -hmm. and, and install instill them in you or did you just watch her or? well i'm the oldest sister um my i have an older brother but I have, i'm the oldest sister and so when we lived next door to her she would teach me how to cook and i would want those things like she and how old were you got, at that time oh elementary school oh, little girl little girl okay um third grade I was wanting to learn how to make tea, and mm -hmm. she she served anyone that came to the house. She had food ready, uh, she had you know drinks ready. She was just ready to serve, and she served her church. She served her family, and it was just someone who I uh, wanted to impersonate. I wanted yeah. to be that. That is cool. So. And so your parents, you you yes. guys live next door. When you're with all this love, <laughs> I'm interested. Because normally you have a personality like yours. Yes. That's really, really bright and, um, you know, kind of 
effervescent. Mm -hmm. That's what, how I would describe you. And then some of the other siblings would be different. They'd be more maybe methodical or more introspective and, and maybe more like all about the intellect side of life versus yeah. the expressive side. But right. it doesn't necessarily sound like it was that with you guys. You were all kind of... We're all very close. I have my older brother who is uh, risque, I would say. He had no fear, was ready to jump on a bike and take off. I mean, very young age, was running the streets, just gone all the time, uh, wanting to play and jump and skateboard and ride bikes and motorcycles and all that. He was very risky. My sister, who's the third child, is very shy, quiet, and would let me voice. I kind of didn't let her have a voice, so that's probably my <laughs> fault. Uh, and then my little brother, who was uh, six years later than all of us, um, he came and he was the baby, so he was the spoiled one and, and an egg, I would call it, because he was just so fragile. We treated him well I would say my parents treated him like he was so fragile so uh I was kind of like the more loud and outspoken one and okay so you were kind the of the leader, leader the of boss. the troop of the kids right <laughs> yes <laughs> and so did your parents when you were growing up were they strict in nature lots of rules or was it a hey we no. have we we rule this house by love and right. as long as you're doing things in that aspect your most of your actions will probably be okay they were very fun loving so we uh, kind of just were able to have fun all the time. I mean, it was just the house to be at. My uh, cousins always were there. My dad <laughs> would put up a pole or build a, a, a mud slide on the side of the house just so that we could slip and slide in the mud. I mean, my aunts and uncles hated him for that probably, but <laughs> uh, we had the slip and slide in the front yard. I mean, the elementary school years, they were just really awesome. And and so um, it wasn't until later when my parents divorced in junior high that, you know, things kind of changed a little bit. Did that change your personality and that, that shininess um, um, when love got tainted, if you will, when you saw it not work out? How did that affect you? I don't want to say that it tainted me because I, kind of, I kind of took a different perspective. I wasn't really like, I didn't feel like I was a victim or per se. I was just more like... I mean, we still kept loving each other. My dad still helped my mom. They co-parented pretty well um, through junior high. And it wasn't until she, I want to say she had a midlife crisis, but kind of, uh, you know, disappeared uh, once we got into high school. So for four years, she wasn't part of our life. It was just my dad raising us. So In California still, or had you come to Colorado in California. by then? Mm -hmm. In California. We were still in California. So for... For those four years that my mom wasn't around, you know, my dad kind of just kind of took the reins and took care of four kids. And the, the baby was only five years old at the time. And so um, it was kind of a different lifestyle, but we still were very tight and we loved each other. We took care of each other. My big brother turned into Superman and my sister was still her shy self, but wow. we just grouped together. We, we really took care of each other. So... After high school, did you come to Colorado later, like quite a bit after that? Or no, did you... right after graduation, 94. Okay. After graduation, um, I asked my dad to wait for graduation so that I can graduate with all my friends, and he did that. And so in September of 94, I want to say, we packed up, and my mom was back by then, and we all packed up and moved to Colorado together. 
Wow. Yeah. And was that into Colorado Springs? Because I know that's where a lot of your family is now. So yeah. directly to Colorado Springs. Yes. Okay. So you get to Colorado Springs yes. and after high school. And then yes. what? Where, where does your life take you at that point? Um. So I have this passion for homeless preven homelessness prevention and um, families that are homeless and things like that. And that be that is because... Uh, throughout high school, my dad struggled, and we didn't have a home all the time. And we did, uh, you know, we were homeless. So you guys experienced homelessness? Yes. Okay, so that's after your mom's gone? After my mom's during gone. During high school? During high school. What did you guys do? Did you, was it friends and family's places that um, you would stay at periodically? Families. Did you guys get split up? What happened? No, we stayed together, and my dad um, made sure that happened, that we all stayed together. We stayed with family. We... Um, stayed in a hotel sometimes, and there were times that he would be able to rent an apartment, and that would last maybe six months, and, you know, he he couldn't hold a full-time job down because he had a five-year-old in kindergarten and us in high school, and it was kind of juggling, watching us, making sure we we're staying in line and um, working and holding down the fort and all of those things. Uh, and with a five-year-old child. And yes. we had a lot of family, but he had his pride. And so between those things, it was kind of, it was a struggle. So he sacrificed an incredible of, amount of his own, chasing his own dreams, it sounds like, so that yes. he could provide for you guys. Well, he had a business and we lived in the office building there for a little bit until he lost the company. And then we moved in with family and then we hopped around a little bit. I was in three high schools my freshman year and then wow. uh, was finally at one high school for the rest of the remainder of my high school years. So how did you keep yes. positive during that? Or did you lose some of your, your light during that? What was your outlook? Because I think people that are listening yeah. right now, they're either going, yeah, I've seen that or I know someone like that or I'm feeling that or I can't imagine being like, I, I was really, really from what you're talking about, I was really sheltered. You know, I mean, my parents certainly had their issues and it yeah. ended up in divorce after I left high school, but they always provided a roof over my head. There was never anything that I needed. Mm -hmm. I never went hungry, but this sounds like a little different with more kids. I was an only child. So how did you stay so positive? Um, I kind of jumped into the mom uh, category. So the role, like, the like role you assumed that role for the, for the I siblings. I got a job so that we can... You know, if there was leftover burgers on the thing, they would let me take them home to the family to eat. And, you know, so it was just always um, taking care of the kids or I just took on that role as mom, cook, clean, you know, go to school, of course. And uh, I love to dance. It's in my spirit. And that is just something I did that uh, was the positive. And was Part. it formal dance or you just would hear music and you would just let, your, formal. let yourself I, go? I love to dance. I did um, flocorico, azteca, oh. uh, hip hop. I Wow. So what it was is um, my dad couldn't afford daycare or couldn't afford. Uh, sometimes he would work late. We would go hang out at the rec centers and I would just watch the dancers there and I would like... Yeah, copy, copy them, them. Yes. and then they would just pull me in and say dance with us and so I would dance with them and hip-hop and and so we'd go to parks and dance at the carnivals or the events or things like that I would just dance so that was your sport if you will that was your that was, that was your connection yeah. to groups was the in dance correct do you still dance 
<laughs> around the house, but yeah. not in uh, not in public. Oh well, I'm a liar. Weddings, <laughs> I'm a liar. I am the one on the dance floor when it comes to weddings and special occasions and things like that. I love being I out love there. to dance. My boys love to dance. So I'm good. so happy that they have that in them. Yes. They love to dance. My husband, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not like so your husband. I'm, yeah. I'm with him. So I understand that. He'll he'll get up there and he'll slow dance. He'll be the first one to, you know, play our song and, mm-hmm. and drag me out there just so that he can say I danced with my wife. But um when it comes to the fast dances, yeah, that's me yeah. and my kids. We're okay. out there dancing. I love it. Yeah. Well, when you started taking on this mom role, at some point your siblings started growing up and you started uh, forming a different path. How did you know? Because you're one of our paralegals. Was there a lot of growing that you did between wanting to become a paralegal from working at restaurants and other things? Where did that love for the law or that passion come from? I actually wanted to be a lawyer and I had an aunt my dad's sister, um, who actually throughout high school was like education, education, education. Um, my dad was like shocked that I wanted to go to college. He's like, okay, you know, you want to go to college? And, but my, cause he um, didn't know how you would pay for it or he needed you to help take care of the the kids or what was, why was he shocked? Probably both. Um, because my younger uh, sibling, the baby, he was still so young in elementary school. And so he was, we, he didn't really have the money. He was trying to get us out of California because of the crime and everywhere that we lived, there was kind of crime. There was crime in the family. Um, so he was trying to get us away from that. And so Colorado was his dreamland. Well, did he, he have said, family here or why, why Colorado? He dreams. He dreamed of living in Colorado, the Colorado mountains, somewhere he could fish and raise the kids away from the chaos of California. And so he was like, um, you know, we're going to move to Colorado. And I said, well, can you wait till I graduate? Because I have all these friends and I love everyone around. You know, I just didn't want to leave. I love my aunt, who we're very close during that time. And uh, she kind of played a mother role. She made sure I went to prom. She made sure I went to dances and had a dress and shoes and things like that. Had my hair done. She did that. She was the my mom mm-hmm. during high school um so so anyway so she taught me education you want to go to school what what is your passion you know and things like that and i said i want to help people like i want to help people with something i didn't know what yet i just knew i wanted to be a lawyer and i wanted to help people i wanted to fight for someone and so um i went when we moved here i, I went to pikes peak community college and I was trying to get some sort of degree at that time. I didn't, I wanted to get into Regis. I remember now I wanted to get into Regis and um, that was kind of like my way. Uh, I had to bring up a grade point average and things like that just so that I could get into the school. But I ended up meeting my husband um, in 96, just a couple years later. Well, I'm a liar. It was New Year's of 96, New Year's Eve. So it was going into 97. 97 yes. Yeah. That's when we met. Excellent. In, Cal- in Colorado Springs. Okay. So then you <coughs> guys me. start dating and then um, obviously, oh no, you're fine. Uh, so you're getting ready to, you're on the track for law school and then um, what changed that direction as far as why you decided instead of going to law school, let's go the paralegal route. Well, there's a lot of time in between those two <laughs> stages. Okay. Because my son... 
was born in November of 97. Okay, yeah. So me and my husband met on New Year's Eve of 96. Uh, we moved in together in February, got married in April, and uh, had our son by November. So life was changing fast, fast. for you. Right. All in 97. Yes. That happened. And so you're thinking about going to Regis, which is a pretty exclusive school here in Denver. And I was working Denver, two jobs. Working two jobs. Mm -hmm. At that point when the family and all the responsibilities came, is that when you said, okay. I, Everything I in my life made sense before I met my husband. So I blame it all on him first and foremost. I hope he's listening. No. Yes. You, you know, it's always <laughs> our fault as husbands. I'm going to just take that one from the team. Everything in my life made sense. I knew what I was doing. I was on track. I had two jobs to pay for it. I had my own apartment. I was just like on track and then I met him I fell in love and and if you can imagine like cartoon characters like their hearts pounding out of their chest and hearts floating in the sky yes. <laughs> that's kind of how it happened it was love at first sight we were in love I love and that I, it's so great I lost track of school after that I just wanted to be a mom again I loved taking care of my siblings. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a wife. I wanted to do everything my grandma taught me. It just all came flooding back into my heart from like growing up, um, doing all those things. And I felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be a mom. And so that's what I, I did. I, did I that. think that is so admirable, Laura, because I here's what I know. People can get locked into what society tells them they should do, yeah. right? or what their family, it's peer pressure can lead people down a road of where they want to be, but we're all called to something. So you thought you had the plan and that plan was perfect for you yeah. until it wasn't. But the fact right. that you were willing to listen to your heart and say, forget whatever you had said to people and to yourself when you knew it was right, mm -hmm. you followed that right direction for you. Yeah. And all of a sudden that was where you were meant to be in the moment. Right. Amazing. Well, and then paralegal came into my life because I knew that's what I wanted to be. I preached it to my kids, college, college, college. Me and my husband set a foundation that they were going to go to school. They were in all these sports. They were going to get scholarships and, and do all these things and um, that we didn't do. And so um, my son kind of threw it back in my face when he was a freshman in high school. He says, Mom, you want me to go to college your dream was to go to college, and I challenge you to go back to school. And so I did okay. in 2012. Mm -hmm. 2012. So from 97 to 2012, I was a mom and uh, working as in office management and all kinds of different, uh, mostly uh, exterior design, like roofing, insulation, asbestos, you name it, I did it. And it was office management and and. And then I went to school. To and so school. when you graduated from your paralegal training yeah. and you're starting to help people, what was it about the paralegal profession that you just fell in love with? What is it that just drives you? Because you, you practice with so much passion and you know I know your work. I see your work. I know the attorneys that you work with and how they feel. <clears throat> what is it that, that called to you that paralegal is the way that you can serve like you'd want to do since you were a little girl? Um, our clients are amazing people. There's just wonderful human beings in this world, and I get to touch that um, when I talk to them. They all have stories, too. They all have people they need to listen to and want to talk to. And um, when I meet my clients, I think of my mom. I think of my dad. I think of my brothers, my sisters, and 
how they just need them to know what to do next after after a tragic situation. They just need to know what to do next and nobody really knows what to do next. And so when they call us, they hope someone can guide them. And if I can do that, that is just what keeps me going. I just love that. Is that your favorite part of the job? Is the connecting the job. with the with the clients and helping them know in what is an incredibly unfamiliar, hostile potentially yes. situation if insurance companies, what how do we get paid? Can, where can I get care? All that kind of stuff. Yes. You you like that guidance of them? I love just letting them know they're okay now. Like they're on the right path to getting taken care of. Um, not just for them, but sometimes it's sad and it's their children that are in that position and they're vulnerable and um, because their children are in pain or need help. And, and this is just one less thing that they have to worry about is when they meet us, then we can take it from there. Absolutely. And I've seen you do that so many times with them. I am interested when you have someone that you're talking to that gets discouraged. They're in the, they're a client of ours at Ramos Law and mm -hmm. they've been injured in uh, some sort of personal injury situation. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time and, and you work on the cases. You don't work on the new cases. You work on the ones that are complicated. They've been in the system. They haven't settled because there's, there's challenges, right? That's where mm -hmm. you're getting these people and, and you're taking, guiding them through that, that process from kind of the earlier stages all the way to the end. How do you help someone cope with the time distance knowing, because my wife went through this and you know, Shauna, right? Yes. But when she got in her accident, she had to get into the part of the law firm where, where you work and where you serve. And she just had such a hard time saying, this wasn't my fault. My life has been wrecked for two and a half years. These people aren't wanting to help me. How do you, how do you cope? What do you do as a team member for the law firm to help those people navigate that situation well that's the hardest part because it is it is a long process and unfortunately they're struggling they're hurting they're going through all these things that they can't control that we can't control that their doctors can't even control at times and um, to keep them sane I want to say uh, or at least give them a little bit of comfort is just spending time with them and hearing them out and let them let them vent because they really can't vent to anyone else. And so they'll call us and say, you know, what's the status of our case? And that kind of just like opens the gates to floods, the, the floodgates, because then that's when, when the second you say, so how are you? You know, they just tears, sobbing, melt. melt. Yes. Just all we can do is let them, let them melt, let them vent, let them cry, let them scream. And then at the end of the conversation, they're like, you know, thank you. Thank you for listening because we really, really, really needed that. We really needed to just vent and just like, it's like a, a tea kettle. We just needed to let the top off, you know, and, and they do that. They call here and they do that. And wow. So, so you being able to listen, be a kind ear, an open heart, basically a soul to soul connection has yes. every bit as much impact from what I'm hearing you say as, hey, Susie. Um, just want to let you know, here's where the insurance company's at. Here's what they're wanting to do. Here's the what your doctors are saying. That's the reporter side of it. But that human connection is what you find really makes a difference in the in the client's, just their healing process. Is that fair? Right, it is. Um, and you kind of try to find some level of connection. That is why we get, um, we try to find out 
um, their personal lives. We want to know their personal lives because if we connect somehow, some way, it's even it's even some sort of um, it's it's good for our souls too. We we kind of feel like like I said, we like I'm talking to my sister or something. You know, it's kind of one of those things where we help each other. You know, so and and it's I good think for both of us, not only from the therapeutic side and from the support side from my experience when you get to know your clients they'll tell you things that they might not even tell their doctors yeah. and that becomes critical in a case right? right because if they're not telling their doctors for example like i couldn't get down on the floor with my kids and it really upsets me and and they're going on about that well if they didn't tell their doctor that but it's because of that crash if you hear it you put that in the notes Correct. now that can get back to that you can tell the insurance company listen Right. These people, this person can't do what they did before, and this is how it's affecting their life. And now the insurance company says, oh, wow, this injury is a little bit worse than we thought. And that means that they can help compensate them and take care of them better because of the connection that they otherwise might not have had had you not built the relationship. I think that's important right. to know. Right. And we also um, will educate them a little bit in terms of let your doctor know. Thank you for sharing that with me. But can you share that with your doctor too? Because it is helpful to have that in the doctor's notes. And it is helpful for your doctor to know what you're going through and what exactly. Because maybe there's some other underlining condition that's not allowing that to happen. Maybe your knee injury that you're focusing on isn't why you can't get on the, on the ground. But you're not paying attention to these other injuries that seem minute to you. Because you have this other injury that's so much more dramatic. And so, you know, you educate them head to toe, tell your doctor. So good. Wow. For anyone that's listening that has been in an accident or trauma of any kind and needs to see a provider, I think as a, as a you know, former full-time provider myself, yeah. that is such gold because if the patients wouldn't tell me everything, that would be problematic in helping me know the levels deep that we needed to go to fix it. Or as a provider, if I'm really busy, sometimes I might not think to ask head to toe as you described, right? I get so right. focused on the, oh, you're coming here for low back. So low back and right above and below, but right. what if it's in your ankle? What if it's, you know, so I think what you just shared is complete wisdom. And, and I know that people can, um, you know, really learn from that. And, and so I think that takes me to say, if someone does get hurt in an accident, if they, uh, slip and fall, they're skiing, who knows what happens, something happens mm -hmm. to them. As far as from your perspective, being in this, in this business, how do they best navigate that? What do they do? What should they look for if something happens? Some, some injury, like, you know, again, we'll use what we do a lot. So they get in a car crash. What, mm -hmm. what should they do? Um, well, they should listen to their bodies and anything that's different that wasn't there the day before the, uh, the timing before the accident. They need to document that and go see their doctor. And even if it's uh, minor, if you want to wait a few days, that's fine to see if it goes away. But um, if it doesn't, you really just need to document that. Go see your doctor, let them know what's going on, and, uh, and, and follow up if needed. Absolutely. I agree. And I think things at the scene that so many people don't think about is they need to get their phone out take a picture, yes. get license plates, exchange information, oh, call the police, like make sure yes. that, that some things are being done mechanically. Cause in the moment, I mean, it's even happened to me right. where, you know, I work at a law firm and in the moment I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's, it's okay. We don't it's have to, okay. it's so all bad. good. And it, here's the biggest mistake I guess people can make is 
they look at their car only and they're like, oh, it's not so bad. Snip, snip a picture. And they, they look at the other car, but they don't care about the other car because it's not theirs. But you need to. You need to look at the other vehicle. Take pictures of that one as well because those pictures are probably way worse than your pictures of your vehicle. And so a lot of insurance companies don't take the damage to your vehicle into consideration because we don't have the documented proof of the other vehicle. And so that's very important to make sure you take pictures of the other vehicles. Wow. Well. Yes. What a great point. And yeah. I didn't mention that earlier, but absolutely take those pictures of both vehicles. Yeah. I think that if people will take those simple steps, it really makes, and you know, we don't want anybody to have these kinds of situations, but let's face it with more people out and, you know, lots of cars on the road, things are going to happen. And yeah. so if they happen, no matter which side of the, the fault line you might be on, you still want to take good Document. precautions. No, mm -hmm. if you run into someone else, you still got to go get your injuries checked, right? Yes. You need to know your insurances and, and all that kind of stuff. But so rather you, you got to take care of the, the things to do on scene, make sure you're taking care of that. And then also make sure that you're taking care of your body. So those are, right. those are great. Um, what else? You got anything, any other tips? Cause I have something else I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that, that you get your, your story out here on the paralegal site. Cause you are just such, so good at what you do <laughs> that I could keep asking you about that. Well, um, do I have anything to add in terms of like my family or no, on the, the oh. business side, on oh, what the you business do for side. work, anything else? Cause I have a whole another topic that I want to move. Well, to. my Ramos law family is part of the whole vibe thing that I have going on. It keeps mm. me going every day. Uh, they're all the same personality and I guess birds of a feather, they call it, you know, they flock together and this building is full of them. So, uh, that's, that's not something that is just a rumor. It's facts. It's just facts. You know, we all love each other here and, and, uh, everyone smiles for each other, whether they're having a bad day or not. And it really is uplifting to come here every day. Wow. Well, you know that as as part of the team that tries to drive the culture here, that is yeah. that warms my heart, Laura. Thank yeah. you so much for saying that because we do try to hire people for attitude as well as aptitude, as you well know. And mm -hmm. and people, we have five core values. And we try to live by them every single day. And if it doesn't work, then those relationships typically don't last. So right. the fact that uh, we do try to get people that care and love and share and you know, shine, even though we're, none of us is up all the time, right? We all support right. each other in those down Absolutely. days. So I cannot thank you enough for that. It's called the Ramos way, right? It's called the Ramos <laughs> way. Well done. That's right. That's right. And so speaking of the Ramos way and the Laura Meehan way, I yes. know you have a huge heart for service. And so yes. I want to talk about a couple of things um, towards the end of the show here. And that is you have from our previous conversations, you have this incredible heart. You mentioned earlier for home for people not experiencing homelessness because of your experience. But number two, basically, um, we have a huge food problem. Some of it's food deserts and distribution problems. Some of it is uh, lack of resources to have good food. Some of it is so much wasted food. There's so many yes. things. I want to hear a little bit about your heart, the groups you work with, your connections, and your purpose because that's the purpose-driven life. You have your purpose at work and then you have purpose away. Mm -hmm. And you are clearly connected to people's needs for food and shelter. So tell me yes. about that. Food and shelter. So no child should go hungry and no child should not have a roof over their head. Um, I advocate for uh, several different uh, organizations in the Denver metro area. And they... Uh, 
have food pantries, they have homeless prevention programs. Uh, those, even our customers or our clients, sorry, even our clients who are struggling because of the accident, some can't work, some, you know, I, I give them these resources as well because it, it just helps them either get back on track or find the resources to get back on track. And that's very important. Nobody needs to be homeless. Nobody needs to go hungry. And so um, there are many organizations in the Denver, Denver metro area. But located here near North Glen, there is right downstairs. Um, yes, Senior sorry, Hub, let me right? Get Senior Hub. Let me get the name right. Mm -hmm. uh, they do Meals on Wheels, and they also have um, Emergency Food Pantry. And so um, I'm actually going to, I'm working with Richard downstairs, and I'm going to do a collection. They need bathroom, toiletry items uh, for their emergency pantry, and they uh, will take any, uh, you know, uh, perishable items, of course, and foods, but they tend to not get as much of the toiletry side of things, so toilet papers, shampoos, soaps, things like that. So uh, I'll be sending a collection email for that. Nice. And you know, uh, just a little insert <clears throat> there. We did a podcast with Stephanie, who's the executive director yes. of the Senior Hub. So anybody more interested in what that organization is all about, it's fantastic. You can go back and I don't even know what episode, what it, but what it was or what number it was. But if you look at Stephanie and the Senior Hub, you'll be able to, to find that as yes, a kind I of a show note for one. folks there. But anyway, um, so go on. So you're, you're, yes. the Senior Hub is, is uh, great. What else? Senior Hub, of course, is to? my first um, go-to for anybody who needs food or needs help. Um, there's also... Uh, the cold weather care in North Glen and Westminster, they're a food pantry, but they're also a shelter, uh, not just during cold weather, but they provide shelter. And I just have to say that 70% um, of their people that go to them leave with employment. And 50%, and that's a low number to me, but um, over 50% of their guests uh, leave the program to a stable home. Wow. And you know what stable. I just love? You just called them guests. You didn't call them the needy people that they're just, oh, you know, they're, yeah. they're guests and they're, they're guests. getting developed and they're getting they're moved getting the along, help. matriculated, yeah. if you will, into their own lives and their own homes. That's they're so beautiful. They're getting the help they want and need. And um, I, I just wish uh, that everyone knew about these programs or were, had the access to them. They, I wish they had the resources they need to get there or to find these locations because they're hidden gems not too many people talk about them or know about them and unless you need them and you're searching for them so right or so how to support them if you're not within the system correct you know we've had so many great podcasts with people that are doing things just like this and i would love to have these kind of folks on so this yeah. would be a great connection for us to work on and there's another kind of corollary group to that but associated with food and shelter and that's a group that we did a show with called Stride. So if you look at the one from Ben Whitehall and Stride, yes. that one is for healthcare. And when you start putting these pieces together, think about it. If you don't have your health right. and you don't take, if you, God forbid, you need medicine and you can't get the medicine, it's a lot tougher to work, to buy food, to provide for your family. So that everything really dovetails, doesn't it? And yep. so finding places for me, finding places as resources, if you need the resource, or if you're looking to give back. Right. These are these are like you say Plenty these hidden of places gems. to volunteer, Plenty. donate. Um, so if you don't, you're not in need of these resources, definitely help. And, uh, and Family Tree is all over Denver Metro. They have so many locations, and they're a program for not just um, homeless prevention, but 
uh, child abuse, domestic violence, uh, several several programs that they have that will get people back on where they need to be or the resources to get back where they need to be. Beautiful. Yeah. So I have a final question for you. Okay. And Final. No. <laughs> yeah. Where does time go? Yes. Where does the time go? Um, if you had one piece of advice that you've been giving, given since you were a little girl up till now, or something that you've learned that would be that key piece of advice for you that you'd want to pass on, whether it's to your kids or to a perfect stranger or to an adult looking for something, what would that piece of advice be? My grandma was very spiritual. And so I always keep my faith. Um, so my advice would be to hold on because God knows what he's doing. That is beautiful. And you've seen it. Yes. Right. You've seen yes. that if you just hold on, God just knows what on. he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that you say that I was, um, you know, I like to watch a lot of documentaries mm -hmm. and, you know, I try to think about things and ponder things. And, you know, you just never know what, when one thing looks like it's tragic or tough, when we can ask ourselves, when we get to the self-awareness point where we can say, how does that serve me? We might not be able to see it in the moment, right? Some of the stuff that's happened over the last year with COVID and social injustice, and all these things, if you're right in the middle, you might not be able to say, how does this serve me now? But if you can just hold on right, and just have faith right. and know that the plan always works together. Right. And it may hurt, but somehow yes. it helps. Like every pain that I've gone through, as you know, I just lost my dad a couple yes. of weeks ago. There's been a lot of pain there, but I see the gratitude and I see the things that he did to help shape me into the life that I have and I enjoy today. And I see that he's not suffering. Like all these things, the pain yes, he's not suffering. allows me yes. to say, how did that serve me? And what that's what I hear you say in your piece of advice, which and, is brilliant. You know, my mom just passed last year. And so um, I saw how many people loved her, loved her energy. She had such an energy. She loved life. She loved her Lord. She loved everyone. She, she just kind of, you know, we, we all, you know, my siblings and um, my dad and my mom, we kind of have, we all have that loved life. Um, but she loved her Lord so much that she was okay going. And so, um, seeing how many people just loved her was amazing. It was just electric. Oh, well, I tell you what, you have certainly gotten that from her because you are loved here. You Aww. give so much love and we wrap you in love every day. Yeah, every time thanks. I get to see you, you know, we shift split from home sometimes and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But when you are here, this place is brighter. So Laura, thank you, thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you for the time and just much continued success and keep shed it, sharing that beautiful light that you have. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You too. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you.